Tell you what, there's nothing like the presence of God. For, for some of you, you work all week and it's busy and it's busy and you get maybe five minutes of a devotional or something and you get that little taste and you know it's good, but then kids are hungry or, or something else is demanding your time and so you got to scurry off and, and do your stuff, right? And it's just nice to take some time, to not be in a hurry about being with Him, right? It's something we need to practice a little more in our culture is to slow down. Enjoy it. Commune with Him. Let's get started in this morning. Uh, my, my title for my message is this. If you're going to take notes, it's God's Person. God's Person. We're going to be looking at a story of Moses and how he interacts with God and how we can glean from his life and hopefully catch his heart that he grew up with and is released into ministry in that way. And so, uh, does anybody know what Wednesday was? Ash Wednesday, that's right. Ash Wednesday is mostly celebrated by Catholics, but predominantly it's a time, 46 days, not including Sundays, so a 40-day fast, right? 46 days leading up to Easter. Okay, and it starts with Ash Wednesday and it ends on Easter, right? Or a Good Friday, one of those two days, that weekend. And it's, it's a time of fasting, essentially. It's a time of preparation, a time of, uh, can you turn me up a little bit? Got to change the mics. How's that? Is that any better? No? Yeah? yeah. Can you turn it up a little bit? Our sound system is going to fight me this whole morning, so we're just going to get over it, right? <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. So that was Lent. And so as we talk about fasting, as we talk about preparing our hearts, what we're really after in a fasting period or in a dedication period like Lent is revival. Simply put, and that's what we're talking about this morning, is revival and awakening and calling ourselves to breathe again, calling ourselves to live again. And we're going to do that by looking at the life of Moses. Now I'm really hot, but it's okay. So if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, or you'll uh, click with me or tap with me in your phones, over to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, we're going to be in verse 12 through 23. In the 1900s, in the country of Wales, some people got together and they began to pray. And as they prayed and as they asked God to come and meet with them and move, they saw not only just the church come alive. And a lot of times when we get, gather on Sundays, that's what we're after. We're after for us in this room to, to be in the presence of God or to get a word, to hear God's voice into our life. But you know what? These group of people in Wales, they got together and prayed not only for them to experience revival, but for their whole nation to experience revival, their whole town. And I'll tell you what happened. As they began to pray and God began to pour out His Spirit upon this town, cops became unemployed. Judges were given white gloves to symbolize that there was no murder, no rape, no blood on their hands as they cast judgment. Bars literally went bankrupt because 
If people were at them, they weren't drinking. They were having Bible studies. They were praising. They were worshiping. This is known as the Welsh Revival. And it simply started because some people got together and they said, you know what, it's not, it's not for me to experience your presence or to, to know your promises or to see your power and you move in it. It's to know God, right? It's to see your face. And it's not to be contained in four walls, right? So we go, jump into our scripture here at Exodus 33. We're going to be in the story of Moses. Let's begin in verse 12, and it says this. It says, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Therefore, I pray, Moses prays, if I have found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you, and then I may find grace in your sight. And consider that this nation is your people. And God said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses says, please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand when I pass by. And then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, But my face cannot be seen. My face cannot be seen. Again, this morning we're talking about revival. Talking about an awakening. There's going to be some things that we got to cover first before we can dig dig into this. One of which is, what is an awakening? That's the first question we're going to attempt to answer this morning. What is an awakening? The second one is, why do I or why do you need an awakening? We're going to attempt to answer that, and then we're going to get a little more practical. How can you experience personal revival in your life? We're going to do that by looking at the life of Moses. So starting off, what is an awakening? Question one, right? It's this. Simply put, it's when God shows up. Simple. When God shows up, revival is happening. And, and it's, it's also an awakening. A revival is a time when sleepy Christians wake up. Anybody feel that this morning? A little one hour less of sleep. When sleepy Christians wake up, I'm not talking about like some of you are sleeping during my sermon. Rest easy, brother. No harm done. I'm talking about Christians who proclaim Christ 
but they go through the motions of life, right? The agenda and the, the tasks just keep building and it goes faster and faster and we get in that rat wheel and we just run and run and run, right? I'm talking about sleepy Christians who don't know their identity like Sharon was talking about this morning. I'm talking about sleepy Christians who when God speaks and they clearly hear Him, they don't step with Him. Sleepy Christians. You hear me? When sleepy Christians wake up, revival happens. When people walk in their calling, revival happens. Because God shows up. He backs your anointing. He backs your authority. Right? Come on. You awake this morning? Are you a sleepy Christian? Come on. When nominal Christians get saved. And what I mean by that, when nominal Christians get saved, I'm talking about cultural Christians. My grandma was a Christian. My mom was a Christian. I would get beat over the head with a... I mean, there was two things I feared in my house, right? A leather belt and a Bible, and they were both bound in leather. I mean, come on. I'm talking about those kind of Bible belt Christians who it's the cultural thing, you know? When those people encounter God for the first time, that's revival. When it no longer is lip service, when it no longer is cultural or a checklist, that's revival. You follow me? When sleepy Christians wake up and nominal Christians or cultural Christians really begin to dig into God and who He is, we actually see non-Christians, people who have no concept, no paradigm for the gospel, come to faith. Revival. When we look at Moses, we need to we need to kind of unpack his life a little bit so we can talk about what is happening in the passage we just read. So when we look at Moses, we know that number one, he is awake. There ain't no sleepy Christian. He ain't Noah after the if you know that story passed out on the beach after the you know the flood story. He's awake. He's alive. I mean, so much so that it says in in verse uh, seven. In chapter 33, that he took his own tent in the wilderness. Moses' own tent and separated it out from the rest of the Israelites. And it was there that became the first tabernacle. And so Moses would go to his own tent and meet with God. And the cloud would descend. And Joshua, when Moses would leave, you know, Joshua, son of Nun, would stay in the tent. And that's where, you know, his anointing started coming for leading after Moses dies, right? But it was his own tent. So we know the, the man has a relationship with God. And it can be summed up. His whole life story can be summed up in three distinct phases. And one is this. His early years in Egypt. Okay, that would be one chunk of his life. The second would be his wandering years. Which would be the time he's in Midian. Being a shepherd. Right? And then his final years in leadership. And so in his early years in Egypt... Noah was the third son of a Hebrew family, a boy. And there was a law said that we were going to kill all Hebrew boys two years and under. And his mother prayed, set him in a basket, and put him in a river. That's, that's a lot of faith to put a baby in a river and just say, like, Lord, you're going to take care of him. I don't know if it was a hopeless act of, like, I just won't see him taken out of my hands. So at least this way... Maybe there's an out of sight, out of mind thing going on in her heart. But maybe it's faith. Because what God did in that river was took that little basket right up into the Pharaoh's palace. 
And the very daughter of Pharaoh found Moses and began to raise him. Not only that, she called Moses' mother, his actual birth mother, to be his wet nurse. And so while Moses is growing up, his own servant, his own caretaker is his own mother. So her status gets elevated right into the palace. I mean, come on. If you're seeing what God is doing with Moses' life from the time he was born, it's awesome. So Moses is learning mathematics. He's learning military strategy. He's getting the best education money can buy in Egypt under the Pharaoh's teaching. His, his smart wise men, his magicians, all his magis, they're teaching Moses how to be a great leader. And he does this for 40 years. Moses is not a young man when he goes into his wandering years. He's 40 years old. I was talking with the students the other night and we just kind of had a, a realization that Jesus was 30 before he began three years of ministry that completely shook the world. I'm 27 and sometimes, and especially for our teenagers, they get so bogged down on themselves because they don't know what life is going to look like. They don't know who they are or what they're going to be doing. And they think they have to know because that's what our culture is pressing on them. Like, you have to know what you're going to do, especially for our seniors. I mean, they got so much pressure. What are you going to major in? Because it's going to be the course of your life for the rest of your life. Who in here's got a job that they use their degree in? I mean, not me. I'll tell you that much, except for this job. <laughs> so, Moses, 40 years old, before he even... Now, when he was a baby his mother began to teach him to worship God, the Hebrew God. So he's grown up as a Hebrew, not, not as an Egyptian. He's been accepted in because of the Pharaoh's daughter, but he's a Hebrew. So he knows God. He knows Yahweh. But I just wanted to say to you that if you feel like you're just wandering around and you don't know what course your life is headed and you don't know what God has in store for you, listen, it ain't over yet. God willing, you got many days ahead. And God willing, he's got a plan for your life to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Do you hear me? Come on, sleepy Christians. I know we got one less, but listen, some of you just haven't walked with God to that point yet because he's gone before you and prepared the way. He knows who you are. So Moses, in the middle of his Egyptian time, a Hebrew man is being beat, and Moses kills the Egyptian who's beaten him. And it's then that he flees, and we enter into his second part of life, his wandering years, where he runs and he flees from everything he knows, his people, his providers, the Egyptians, his own mother. I don't know if he knows her, that she's his mother, she is his mother or not, but he goes into the desert, and it's there that he finds a wife. It's there he starts having kids, and he's a shepherd. Okay, Now, a man who's killed somebody and is running knows what? That he's guilty. Otherwise, you wouldn't run. If he had just cause or he was in the right or he had enough status in the Pharaoh's temple, he wouldn't have ran. He'd have been prideful or puffy chest about it or something. But no, he ran. Secondly, from going from Pharaoh's temple to the, the sheep pen... Must have done something to the man's pride of, of a direct status change. So you're looking at Moses probably at one of the lowest seasons of his life 
Now, he did find a wife and a family, and he's having purpose in that, and he's got sheep. But it's in this season that God shows up. When Moses is out with the sheep, God encounters him with a burning bush. But the bush is not being consumed by the flames. When Moses walks up to that bush, the Lord speaks. And he tells Moses, take off your sandals. This is Exodus chapter 3 if you want to read it later on. Take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. And Moses begins to, to have a dialogue with God. And it's here that God first tells Moses what his name is. Because he asks him, who, who's gonna, who do I say sent me? He says, I am who I am. And let me tell you something. It was from this moment that changed the course and direction of Moses' life forever. You cannot tell me that when you walk on something as holy as the very ground that God is residing on, and when He speaks from a bush that won't burn, and when He says His name and the earth shakes at its very foundations, who is man that you are mindful of Him? That you could stand before the mighty waters of His voice, right? I mean, come on. Think about, just picture yourself in that kind of encounter. Shakes him, and it's that encounter that switches him into his final and third phase of life, which is his years in leadership. And he begins to follow God, hear God's voice, and do what God says. He's not looking for fame. He's not looking for for status again. He doesn't want that. He wants the holiness. He wants the name. And he's constantly drawn back to that encounter of always saying, just like what we read, show me your face. I want you. When we're talking about revival, we're talking about a time where the ground is real dry in your life. Things aren't looking so good. And God brings heavenly rain to saturate your soil. When I was driving this morning, it was just a nice little reminder that I started having a drizzle on my car. And I was like, heavenly rain in your lives. That's what we're praying for, that you would have revival, that you would be alive, that you would have a living thirst for a living God. Second question. Simply put, again, before we go to the second question, let me tell you this. If, uh, if you're a word guy, if, you, if you're a student of the word, a theophany, it's the, the word there that literally means to show God. And those are the things that would be described in the Greek there, theophany, that is the things that happen in the book of Acts. Okay? We're talking about when God shows up, things happen. And if you've ever read the book of Acts, that's the kind of revival we're talking about this morning. Okay? So again, what do we need? Second question. Why do we need an awakening? Again, we've got to go back to the story of Moses. Give you a little background on what he is doing in the present leading up to this encounter that we just read in 12 through uh, 23. Moses goes after the burning bush. He goes into Egypt by a series of 10 plagues. God removes the Hebrews out from under the pharaohs and into the wilderness. He parts the Red Sea miraculously. They go through on dry ground, or dry ground the Hebrews. 
And when the waves crash in, they kill the Egyptians, the accusers, and they go and they walk to the mountain of Sinai. And it's there that Moses goes up and he receives the Ten Commandments. He receives the next phase of the covenant and leadership. And it's there, that while he's getting the Ten Commandments, that God says, you've got to go back. Because these stiff-necked people, not naked as in no clothes, but naked like right here, right? They're naked. Necked. I like naked better. We're going to stick with naked. <laughs> stiff-necked people, right? Necked people. That little accident, country twain got in there real fast, didn't it? Boy, how did that go? These boys don't want to listen for nothing. Shoot. I'm getting off track here. No, God tells them, listen, they're stubborn. And he says this to Moses, and this is what switches everything. He says, you know what, Moses? In verse 2 of chapter 33, if you want to switch over there, he says this. I'll read it for you. Verse 2. He says, I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Parasites and the Hevites and the Jebusites and all the ites and eats and bites. He's going to drive them all out. But it's going to be the angel that goes before him. When Moses gets back down to where the people are, he asks this one question. Who is with the Lord? All the Levites Come on to Moses' side. They, they, they step over the line and they say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, right? And then they go through the whole camp and they ask this question. Was it a one-time thing? Or are you going to keep worshiping, worshiping this idol? Let me tell you why idolatry. While God's giving Moses the, the, the commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, do not worship a carved image, right? The people are already messing it up. I mean, he's just got the commandment and they're already off track. But you know why it's so important that we don't have idolatry in our life? That we don't make a carved image, that we don't worship a symbol? It's because God made you in his image. You're the representation of God. You're supposed to be the symbol that when people look to see what God's like or they look to see what Christianity is about, they look at us. And we don't deserve worship. So we reflect back glory unto the Father. That's why we don't have symbolic stuff. That's why we don't worship idols. And, and so Moses here is checking their heart. Are you going to, was it just a mistake? Did you not know the rules? You know, I just brought them back so I could understand. And they kill anybody who is not walking with God or that was going to continue to worship idols. And so Moses, he goes back up to the mountain and that's where we see him have this encounter. And listen, for us, he, Moses says, he says, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't take us from here. If, if you can send an angel instead, that's good. But if you don't come, don't take us from here. And there's, there's a couple of things we need to, to take note of here. It's, first of all, that God is beautiful. He's not just useful. He's beautiful, not just useful. And what I'm talking about here is, is Moses essentially is saying this, or God's essentially saying this to Moses. Listen, I will keep my promise to you. I will give you the land that's flowing with milk and honey. But I'll send an angel with you instead of me. At least I consume you. At least I burn you up with wrath. 
And Moses, and think about it, this is a sweet deal. Some of us, our hearts are in this place where we think God is like this. Like, he's kind of like, as long as you do this, I'll follow you type relationship we have with God. Lord, I'll follow you as long as my marriage stays intact. Lord, I'll follow you as long as I have health. Lord, I'll follow you as long as I can pay my bills. But it's when that thing gets removed, then we're like, hey, I'm out. And the question we need to ask ourselves here, where I'm getting at with revival is this, is, is God the ultimate prize in your heart? Or is he a means to an end for your life? You got to be serious with yourself now. Because he makes the offer. He tells, you, he tells Moses and all the, the Israelites, he says this, listen, you could have everything, the success, the wealth, the land, all of it, but I won't go. I'll still give it to you. I'll still keep my promises. No religious obligation. No self-sacrificing. Think about your own life. If God offered this to you, it's like, listen, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, I'll give it all to you, but I won't be a part of it. I mean, listen, I'll send an angel, I'll prepare it all, but I won't be a part of it. And Moses responds with this. He says, in in essence, he's saying, God, keep all the success if success comes without you. You take it all. I don't want it. It's rags compared to you. Remember that as a boy, this man was taught to worship God. As a grown man, a father, a husband, he encountered the living God. And it was there that he said, there's nothing else in my life that can satisfy me like that fame that doesn't burn up the bush. Like the name that quakes, shakes the earth. And it's that same heart right here, that heart of revival that says, I don't care what it is. If you're not in it, I ain't going. How are, he says it right here, right? He says in 16, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and we're going to take a minute, and I want this to be a serious time. I'm going to ask that if you need to get up to the bathroom, you just hold it. Just hold it. Do some self, just you, not your spouse, not your girlfriend, not your friends, just, just you. I want to ask these questions to you. Do you need an awakening? How real, seriously, if you need to write something down, I want you to think about this. Close your eyes, whatever it takes. How real was God in your heart this past week? Let me ask you this. Is your God too small? Are you really sensing the presence of the Lord in your life right now? His leading, His guiding. Do you delight 
in God. See, the ultimate reward. If you're like me, it doesn't look good in here. It doesn't look good. There's a lot of things that are keeping me from from just burning with desire for God, right? So how do we get an awakening? The third practical step, how do we do it? I want you to know this. No revival or awakening that's ever happened in the history of the church happened because humans orchestrated it. It was not done by man's hand. In the 1970s in the Jesus movement, there was a group of of leaders of Jewish people who on separate individual uh, occasions experienced God and was saved radically and they came together and made the organization called Jews for Christ. Now, why this is so important? Because it wasn't just in the 70s all these same people went to a Billy Graham message and they heard him preach and everybody got saved because Billy Graham is the man. No, God was doing something with his people and he was calling individuals going before them knowing who they were and what they were destined to do to bring them together as followers of Christ to start an organization that would affect and help change the pattern of the Jesus movement for the Jewish people. Another one is in 1727. The Moravians, led by a guy named Court Nicholas, set aside a room and a time And a group of people got together and they decided that at every hour of every day, somebody was going to be in that room and they were going to be praying. From 1727 to 1820s, somebody was in that room and they were praying. It's known as the 100-year prayer meeting. Think about that. You sit down for 15 minutes, try to read your Bible and mind's going elsewhere. For a hundred years, these people sought God's face. I said it already, but I'll say it again. We need a living thirst for a living God. It's not about God giving us all the things, all the wealth, all the health, all the success. It's about God himself. See, Moses, what I'm going to leave you with is how we can obtain Revival in our life is this. Moses knew God's promises that he would uphold them. He would send the angel and and that the land would be theirs. He knew it. Okay? Some of us are holding on to a promise and it's one of those conditional love things that we have for God. Lord, if you do what you've promised me, I'll worship you. But if you take it from me, I'm out. We kind of see this the true way to look at God's promise in the heart of, of, uh, of Jacob and Isaac. Is it Jacob and Isaac? When he goes to sacrifice his son up on the mountain. Abraham, thank you. I knew I was wrong. I was like, that does not sound right. Abraham and Isaac. He goes to sacrifice his son up on the mountain. And that was the promise that he would have kids. But he said, it's not about the promise. It's about God, right? Listen, Moses 
knew about God's power. He saw the Red Sea split. He's, he was there with the Ten Commandments. He saw the, his own staff turn into a snake. Right? He knew about it. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't the signs and the wonders. And all the Pharisees of the day Jesus was walking around, they kept asking for a sign. And he said, listen, I'm right here. And you can't see it. What is a sign going to do? It's just going to point right here and you still can't see it. The presence even wasn't enough for Moses. Because as the cloud is descending upon his own tent to be the tabernacle, he says, show me your face. And so it leaves us with this this morning. In closing, if we want revival, if we want our own hearts to burn and to live a life like Moses, it's got to be God's person we're after. Not his promises, not his power, not his presence, but God himself. He's got to be our God and we've got to be his people. And if our, if our focus is on anything else, we're going to get burnt out. We're going to get led astray. But it's got to be God's person. And it's only there that we'll experience true revival in our heart and from the individual spread into the church and outward. So my prayer for us this morning is that when we go forth for the week that we seek first the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom isn't a, a place or some boundary lines. It's a, it's a, it's a God. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. If we can seek that, He promises us, if you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. In Psalm 27, it says, Come, seek my face. And David writes, Your face, O Lord, I will seek. And that's exactly what Moses was after, was his face. <coughs> to know him intimately. So again, I I ask you this question as we close. Do you need a revival? Then seek his face. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would just come and reveal yourself to us. God, that you would make known to us your ways, your love, your compassion, how just you are, Father. Lord, if, if we could be so bold to ask, would you show us your face like Moses? And if it's only your backside we get, Father, would you just please come and reveal yourself to us, maybe for the first time or anew. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.